1: Today's scripture is First Samuel 16:1 through13. The Lord said to Samuel, "How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, "How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me." The Lord said. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at, People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? they still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah, the Word of the Lord.
2: Good morning and welcome to Redeemer Lincoln Square. Welcome to 2021. I don't know about you, but I am so glad it's a new year. I know this week has been still discombobulating, there's still a pandemic, and there's still uh, lots of unrest in our country, but I am hoping and looking forward to this year. And hopefully you are too. We are starting a new series as well today, and the series is going to be focused on what it doesn't mean to be human. I think there's a lot of competing visions out there in the world right now that are saying what it means to be human, and we need to look at our scriptures to see what it says. And so we're going to focus on the life of David. If you go to the first line of the New Testament, the very first book of the New Testament, Matthew, the first line, it says that this book is about Jesus Christ, who is the son of God, sorry, the son of David. And you look at the last book of the New Testament, Revelation, go to the very last couple lines, and actually it says there that Jesus is actually saying, I'm a descendant of David. David. And as we saw this past Christmas, with some of the passages we looked at, Gabriel came to Mary and says to Mary, your son Jesus will sit on the throne of David. Jesus' adopted father, Joseph, was a descendant of David. Crowds who followed him in the streets called him the son of David. Uh, Jesus often referenced David to justify his actions. And so the point is this, while the whole New Testament is about Jesus, I think you can only have a deeper understanding of Jesus if you really understand David. That we won't really know what Jesus is fully about unless we understand who, what David was fully about. Doing so will show us who Jesus is and then, therefore, in conjunction, who we are in being fully human. And so why is that? Because not once, but actually twice in the Bible, it actually says that David was a man after God's own heart. And that phrase is a a phrase of wonder and mystery, but we need to delve into the text to see what that might be. Because if you want to know what it looks like to be after God's own heart, if you want to know what it means to be fully human, then we need to look at David's life. So today we're going to start in the very beginning. We're going to look at uh, David's anointing in 1 Samuel chapter 16, and we're going to see three things today. We're going to see the world's idea of character. We're going to see God's view of character, and we're going to see the only true source for character. So uh, the world's idea idea of character, God's view of character, and then the only true source for character. So very first thing first, the world's idea of character. Go back into the 1740s, and there was this incredible amount of religious fervor in America. Uh, You had the First Great Awakening. People were going to Bible readings. They'd read the Bible, and then they would fall down. And start shaking and convulsing and have all, having all sorts of physical and experiential moments in their life. But then they would literally get up, go home, and they would be just as impertinent. They would be just as cruel, just as harsh, just as mean as they were before. And so even though on the surface uh, it looks like they were doing religious things, underneath it all there was no real spiritual change. The people had misidentified what character really mattered. And so Samuel in our passage, I think, has the same problem. I think we today, with with all the current events, as we literally try to force each other to behave a certain way, we're misapplying what it looks like to be people of character. So for Samuel, look at what he did. Back in 1 Samuel 10, six chapters before our text, he gets to anoint Saul as the new king of Israel. And the way they did that is the way everybody did it. They lined up the tribes of Israel, and they looked for the most suitable king. And when Samuel's eyes landed on Saul, in verse 23 of chapter 10, he said this. It said this, As he stood among the people, he, Saul, was a head taller than anyone else. Samuel said to all the people, Do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. In other words, Samuel looked at the tallest. (laughs) He looked at uh, the strongest. He looked at the most fit. And he said, That's Saul. And you say, Why does that matter? Because that's back then. That's how all kings were picked. He wasn't just the tallest, he was the strongest, he was the best warrior, and kings back then had to do that because they were going to go into battle and lead the army to go and fight. Therefore, they needed to be the biggest and the strongest and the best. But now, six chapters later, Saul had made all these monuments to himself in his own honor. He'd openly disobeyed God. He, in verse 2 in our, in our text, it says Saul was willing to even kill a prophet of God. So this is not a good guy. He's been terrible. And so God tells Samuel, and he says, hey, I've chosen another king. And Samuel's like, great. Time to get somebody better. Let's go. This Saul's been a bad guy. He wasn't up to snuff. Now all I have to do is pick from the sons of Jesse from Bethlehem. And it, our text says he goes to Bethlehem, immediately sees, sets his eyes on the oldest and therefore the tallest son, Eliab, in verse 6. And it says, Samuel thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands before me, which is very similar language to what he did six chapters before. In other words, he's doing the very same thing that he did before with Saul. What's he doing? He's picking based on what he can see. He's picking based on what, how the world sees. And you would think that after his last disastrous pick, he'd be more careful, more on his guard. But the problem was Samuel, in his mind, he couldn't. It was so obvious who the pick should be. It would be like us trying to pick NBA players. We would all just pick the tallest folks or for NFL linemen, the sturdiest, or for... Ballet dancers, right? The perfect form and size. You you would just know. And what this text is telling us is we would then be wrong. Because moral character, your moral character is more important than what you think you see. Your moral character is more important than what it means to be human. To truly have the heart of God than anything else. Um, In the business world. For that matter, really in any world in, 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 in um, on earth, right? You have the business world, the political world, the sports world. We always pick the person who's the best speaker, the best dancer, the best leader, the best IQ, the smartest, the brightest. Because we're basing things on our abilities. Because the world picks on results. And inevitably, you know, here's what happens. You see this in the newspapers all the time. In fact, you're seeing it play out right now is inevitably the, there's a character flaw in the individual. Perhaps they have anger issues, perhaps they're domineering, perhaps they're inflexible, and the whistleblowers come out and they get vilified because if you lose the speaker, if you lose this leader, if you lose this athlete, you lose this smart person, you lose all the things that you've built with them. Maybe it's an artist who, whose work is revelatory, or a minister who's a great preacher, or a business person whose intuition is always right, but they have a bad character in the world's view. Character's great, but it's not necessary. What's necessary is the gifting and the ability and the savviness, because that's what's going to uh, build us things. That's what's going to make money. That's what's going to be successful. Now, if you're sitting there going, yeah, that's the problem. People don't care about character enough. Yeah! Here's, here's the problem with that statement. You're not realizing that you're part of the problem. You're not realizing this is actually hardwired in all of us. Samuel didn't even know he was making that mistake. And you and I don't know that we're doing it all the time too. We are conditioned to evaluate people based on how funny they are, how good-looking they are, how connected they are, how smart they are. And what happens is is we move towards these people because of what they can give us. We move towards people because because we're... We're basing things based off of the world's evaluation. Take dating. You say, here's, the, here's what's always great. People say, oh yeah, character so it matters. It's so much more important than skills and looks and connections. Then why is it that Christians and non-Christians alike pick their spouses up based on looks, based on attraction, based on money, based on, on ability? We pick our, our spouses the way we pick our stocks. We invest... In those who seem who we seem impressed with, who's dynamic or who's talented. Ironically, those things that I just listed, looks, abilities, money, have no bearing, have zero bearing on on if they'll be a good spouse or not. Do a study on people who've been married over 30 years, and I promise you, it's not their looks, it's not their attraction, it's not their money that kept people together. No, what keeps people together is character over 30, 40, 50 years. The ability to forgive and repent, the ability to grow and encourage others to grow. What that means then, here's the practical reality, is it's possible that you might be sitting in church one day in the future, and you're actually sitting next to the person who you should be married to, And you don't even consider them because they don't fit a checkbox of items that you have that don't actually fully matter. I get so tired about this. Ironically, here's what's so ironic, is that actually makes us now the shallow people, the people without character. And we don't even know it. We don't even see it. How many of us are walking by people every day right now who would be amazing spouses, but we would never even look at them? If you think you're off the hook if you're married, how many times are you wanting from your spouse a commodity when you should be looking for character? Ask yourselves in all parts of, in all facets of your life, where do you want commodities over character? That's the problem. Every...
0: At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq@redeemer.com or join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash YouTube.
2: single time it will fail us. That's the problem. Okay, fine. Second point. Um, what's God's view of character then? Samuel was about to make the same mistake that he made in the past in verse 7. And God says, Do not consider... What did he say in verse 7? Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks in the heart. In other words, Samuel, and really all of us, look, are looking at external things. Well, God is looking at the internal things. You say, okay, what are those? Well, think of the person that, that God picks in our text, David. Who was he a picture of? He was a picture of the youngest tending sheep and, and for all intents and purposes nobody believed that was the possibility he was too small he was too young he was probably a teenager not fully grown probably pretty uncouth but, um, there was no way that this person could ever lead any army into any battle and actually win there was no way that he could have been a king by anybody's assessment back then and maybe even today Robert Alter, in his commentary, puts it so perfectly. He says, David is basically a male Cinderella. He's left to do the domestic chores. He's overlooked by his family. And he's not even invited to the party. And so uh, here's the problem. At this point, many pastors will say, So, here's the, here's the moral of the story. Be like David. Go be men and women of character. But if you were listening to our last point, that's the problem, isn't it? We don't know what we can't see. We don't even know what to look for and define it, right? If if verse 7 is true and man looks on the outside and God looks on the inside, right? We we don't even know what to look for, and it's even worse than you think. Because David David's character, right? Um, it was not wholly good, was it? Just look over his life. He had he had, and we're gonna get into this in the future weeks, but his infidelity, his leadership failures. All the people that were constantly mad at him. All his mess-ups. See, Saul was a dumpster fire of a person, but David was actually a dumpster fire of a person. Saul was deeply flawed, but David was deeply flawed. So how could David be a man of character and Saul not? And I think our text tells us um, it's possible in in two ways. Where let's put it, phrase it this way where David came from and where David was going is really the main difference between him and Saul see where David came from is this he came from where the wilderness he was a shepherd and I'm, I, it's so hard to translate that because we live in in New York City you can hear all the New York City sounds um, a shepherd was the lowest class they weren't even really inside society they were literally on the outskirts That means he would have had the lowest expectations for himself to be a success in the world's eyes. And that's what made him perfect for the job. Why? Because his expectations was not for greatness. His expectations was for goodness. God delights in blessing those who are considered low in the world God is constantly elevating the meek and the needy and the lowly, the ones who don't think they're in. I mean, just the the Bible is littered with this. It's Rachel, not Leah. It's Jacob, not Esau. It's Joseph, not his brothers. It's Ruth. It's Esther. It's Moses. It's all the people you wouldn't think should be the people. Almost every single major character in the Bible is not who you would have expected in those roles. And that means great things for us. It means that if the most unlikeliest of characters bring his kingdom here, well, that means it's you. Whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you've done, whatever you haven't done, even the most unlikely person, you too can bring about his kingdom. Furthermore, the lower that you are, the further you feel from the places of power, the more ready you actually will be to lead. Think about it. How long was David a shepherd before his anointing? How much longer did he live after his anointing in obscurity? And then even when he was put on the map, how often was he under constant death threats from Saul and others? Don't forget how hard his life was up until this point and then continues to be afterwards, it's the hurts and the hardships that made him able to handle the hurts and hardships of leadership, of being a king. I say this all the time, that if you've never suffered much, then you you can't handle suffering. People who have cruised through life have almost no ability to handle the brokenness and hurts when they come. But David was able to. And so where he came from prepared him, but also where he was going. As we're told later, you know, David was a man after God's own heart. In the New Testament, Paul tells us the heart of God is the fruit of the Spirit, which is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This doesn't mean that you're not going to have moral failures. This doesn't mean that you're not going to have huge misses in judgment. But if you have God's character, the fruit of the Spirit is inside of you and it's growing. You have to say, okay, what does that look like? Well, it means over time that you can tell that you've actually, that now you're less worried what people might think of you. You can tell that you have less bouts of self-pity. You can tell that you're more at peace with yourself and with your life. See, it's, it has to do it in comparison over time. You say, am I more joyful now in the state of my condition than I was before? And then you have to look over that at how it develops in us. That's where David's going. That's where all people that have the, the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit in their lives is going as well. So last point. What's the only then true source of character? Right. This is. I think this is found in verse 13. When David was anointed, it says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. So you had the fruit of the Spirit developing in him. But what does that mean that the Spirit of God was on David? I think it means this. Right now, if you took a self-assessment of your character, you would probably see many traits that were probably just naturally acquired. For example, some of you are very truthful, honest people. You have high moral fiber and integrity. But because of that, because you don't sway from anything, because you don't change, that good trait tends to have a dark side to it because it tends to be that then you, when you, you will get into situations where you'll look down on other people... Who don't have the same amount of honesty who don't have the same amount of fortitude everything in you is black and white everything is, is, is very clear and binary one of my friends in college was this way and, and we called him the hammer but uh, because this is a good trait but it also left him rigid and so the question is if, that, if we have these good traits but they have a dark undercurrent in all of us I, I'll give you another one Um, How about somebody who's naturally kind and nice? What's the dark underside of that? Probably you, you, you so want other people to be happy. You so want other people to feel all nice and wonderful. You never speak up. You don't speak into their lives. You tend to be cowardly and unable to speak truth to power. Perhaps you are more kingly. And you like to build things and make things, but then you probably tend to be manipulative in certain situations and people to get things done. And so the point is this. All of us right now can see the positive aspects of our character, but they all have downsides unless the Spirit of the Lord is the true source of character in your life. When the Spirit rushes on you like it did to David, it will make you not just truthful, it will make you loving at the same time. It'll make you disciplined, and at the same time not harsh. In other words, the fruit of the Spirit, it's not like you you can't pick and choose. You have some, but not all. No, you're going to have both love and joy, but as well as self-control and faithfulness. Which, naturally, seem like they're at odds with each other. And I think this all only comes through the Spirit. So then how do you get the Spirit of God in your life? I mean, that's the question. Go back to our text. In verse 4, Samuel... The whole uh, context for all this is Samuel went to Jesse with a sacrifice. They were going to go and sacrifice to the Lord because the sacrificial system said the only way that you can approach God, the only way you can get close to Him, is you needed a sacrifice. You needed a goat or a heifer or something to die where you would symbolically lay your hands on an animal and that animal would take your place. Now, of course... This thing this animal didn't actually do that it not in a literal sense it was a, a huge symbolic system to convey to people that your current state what we're all in right now we're all dumpster fires that all of our characters the pros are really cons all the positive traits really have the negative undercurrents As soon as somebody says, oh, I love this about Michael. This is so great about him. Somebody else sees the same things. That's what I really don't like about Michael. Because they see the dark undercurrent. Someone else needs to come and shed blood to to substitute in my place is is what our text is showing us. Somebody else needs to pay for the transgression. Somebody else needs to save. And David must have known because of his humble beginnings, because of probably knowing not just his in, his inner thoughts, but even the dark undercurrents. He knew that he did not deserve to be anointed. He knew he didn't know the first thing to be a king. And he knew that he, at some level, did, did not have it put together. Which means he knew that he needed a savior. David must have had some inkling in his head of his need for God to substitute for another. That he, knew that, sorry, that he knew that for God to substitute another for him. And that we need the same thing. And what's amazing is somehow that was enough to be after God's own heart back then. And you and I have the possibility for more. Because we already know that someone else was going to be born in the same town of Bethlehem as David. Somebody else was going to be born into obscurity. So obscure it was in a manger. Talk about symbolism, about you know a feeding trough and a manger. The sacrificial system, and now you have the individual who's going to be that. Someone else who wasn't tall enough, somebody else who wasn't learned enough by society standards, somebody else who wasn't considered gifted enough, who was going to grow up and make that sacrifice, to make what all the bulls and the cows of the world could never do, to wash our hearts clean as snow. Jesus was the answer to the entire sacrificial system. He paid the price. He substituted himself for us. He was the true David who didn't have anything the world really wanted, but he was a man of character still. And the more we look at his perfect character, the more we worship him, the more we love him, the more we allow him to enter into our lives, the more we'll be changed into his likeness. If you want proof about that, if you believe that, only if you let that be the main driver of your life, the main thought of your life, when your heart dwells on that night and day, your character will change. Your heart will change. It's the secret to happiness. It's the secret to contentment. It's really the secret to, to how this world really works. Sure, you'll always be able to find positive traits, but they'll have dark undersides unless he, you see his life for you. You will only really be truthful in character, even if it hurts, even if you know that people are going to leave you. That you won't be cowardly, that you will speak truth if you know him, because then you will see that speaking truth yourself will only bring you closer to him because he is the way, the truth, and the life. Is he not? At the same time, you will also be loving, out of the way loving, out of this world loving, serving, patient, and kind, Only if you don't have to be right all the time. Only if you don't have to divide the world into black and white, the insiders and outsiders, the people who are in power and the people who are not in power. We're seeing this in live action. We're watching this on television right now. That we don't actually have to always get our way. That we don't always have to win. Because he already has. Do you see how it develops character in you? Cosmically, Jesus Giving up the universe to get you allows you to give up the universe, allows you to give up your world, your outward measures of success to get him. You don't need now the attractive relationship, the nice car, the, the perfect life, and pssst, guess what? Those things wouldn't have been enough anyway. So now, when you latch to him, you get his character. In New York, We get consultants for everything, don't we? Businesses have consultants. Churches have consultants. But here's the thing. What if Jesus got a consultant to be to try to be influential in the world? Hey, consultant, how do I be influential in the world? Do you think that consultant would have said, hey, I have an idea. How's it? Don't get political at all. Like, literally even say render unto Caesar Caesar, like (laughs) over there. Don't aspire to any political power. Don't have any military power. Don't hold any societal office. Be a wandering, homeless teacher who gets killed at the age of 33, and then you will probably be the most influential person in all the world. Guess what? No consultant in the world would ever have said that. And yet Jesus did change the world just for that. You can too, but it's not going to be through gifts, it's going to be through grace. We think it's through gifts, but it's through grace. Friends, we live in a city where all the emphasis is on being beautiful and smart and wonderful and making lots of money. None of that is about character. When we say gifts mean more than grace, it will kill you. It will own you. And we'll talk about this in the future weeks. But grace over gifts, which only comes through self-examination. Grace over gifts, which only comes through other Christians speaking into our lives, going through the Bible, through our prayer life. Focus on that will give you the change, the presence, the ability, the fortitude for everything else. To stay here, to thrive here, to not need everything. Because you already have been given everything. Do you believe that you are washed clean by him? That he's washed you whiter than snow? If, if you even turn to him today, right now, you are clean and the Spirit of God will rush upon you and will fill in those character gaps, you're still going to have major, major blind spots and issues and things, but God can use you to bring the kingdom and he will bring the kingdom through you and he will change this world for you. That's what Lincoln Square is for. That's what I want you to be and I, and I think that's what our Lord wants you to be. You will be fully human. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the beginnings of this um, new series Look at the life of David. Uh, sometimes, looking at another flawed individual that that, ha- that is a man after your own heart helps us to know what that looks like. I pray that we see uh, first how blind we really are; that we really do look at things in this world, and in um, through an evaluation tool of our eyes that are just that's just flawed. It works a lot of times; that's why we use it. But Father, we, we miss individuals of character. We miss what it means to be men and women of character as well. I pray that we would um, have our lives changed by, by you, by what you've done. Turn our, lives in, turn, turn our hearts and minds towards you in all that we do. We pray things in your name. Amen.
0: Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already. And we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit linconsquare.redeemer.com.